Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today I've got with me the uh, co-writer and director of the British sci-fi movie, Native. Um, hello, Daniel Fitzsimmons. Hello, Stuart. How the devil are you? I'm alright. I'm fine, yeah. Good to be back in sunny London. Have you, have you, been, have you been north, have you, this weekend? Yeah, uh, I've been up uh, back in Liverpool for a few days. Um, I go up for a fair bit. Our, our production office is up there, so um, it's quite handy to see friends and family. Well, I was going to say, do you see family as well? <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. I need somewhere to stay. <laughs> now we're talking about Native. Now, Native is a, is is a film that that Britflix already covered, and it's two years ago. We did a set visit, and we came to see you. And we spoke to you, and we spoke to some of the crew, and we spoke to Neil Atkinson, the uh, the other co-writer and producer of the movie. Yeah. Um, and that was lots of fun down at a, a sport a sports hall that you'd commandeered as your studio back in East London in Dagenham. Um, so I saw that magic happening, and I've now seen I've seen the the transition from that magic happening there <laughs> to it looking like a finished film. And for the life of me, I can't recognise. Well, I, I can see what it was. <laughs> but I think I think where you took what you took as what I could see with my naked eye, and what you see as the film is an amazing thing. So I think the second part, the second part of the podcast, will look at the process. But first, one of the things we didn't cover when I was there was the casting of the movie, because your two lead characters, certainly to TV eyeballs, will be relatively well known. You've got you've got Rupert Graves and you've got Ellie Kendrick. Um, so. How did you get these guys involved in your movie? Was it on the page? Was it through contacts? Was it, you know, combination We've of got, two? Yeah, going back to um, the initial script, yeah. it, 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 it was vastly different um, to how it ended up being in terms of the the dynamic of the two lead characters. And, and, and they, were, they were actually written... Um, Kind of the, the the speed in which the the, the script was written, um, we didn't have casting in mind at the at, at the outset, mm. and then when we began to talk to actors and agents about uh, the casting of the movie, we certain names cropped up, 
and certain possibilities presented themselves, and then that that kind of shaped the script even further. So that so that when when we got to the point where I was able to get the script into Rupert's hand and yeah. and and he read it, and I met with him, we were very much on the same page because. Um, we, I, Neil and I were nudging the script in a, in in a direction that I think he that we felt he would relate to. Okay. So um, so once Rupert was on board, uh, we, like any of these things, you know, you, you never know um, in which order the cards are going to fall. Uh, Rupert came in first, so then we knew that the two characters had to dovetail and, and we needed to plan for that. We didn't have the luxury in, 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 in budget terms of having a casting director to be able to to do those things concurrently. So um, as we were doing a lot of it ourselves, once Rupert began to... Once Rupert's involvement began to um, become more set in stone, uh, we knew what we were looking for with, with Eva for Ellie's character. Hmm. I, I'd seen Ellie on Misfits, uh, a show which I really loved. Um, and I just thought she was great in that. Really, like, as a, she, she wasn't one of the main characters. I think she was in four episodes out of the eight in the series, but I just, I, I thought she was brilliant. I thought she stole every episode that she was in. Um, I thought the character was really interesting. And to play an, a non-typical female lead, you mm. would say, I suppose, that's been sort of general. Yeah. But um, we, we, we needed someone who was going to bring a lot more to the role uh, than just to, you know... In, in a lot of these films, I think that the, the female role can be underwritten and can and can only be there is only there to serve the male lead and, and, and that couldn't be the case for our film's work. So... Mm. So I, I I just saw something in her, a quality in her that I, I, I think was quite um, strong anyway. Um, the, the, there was an underlying mischief in in her that I thought would would give a humanity to what could be quite a robotic character and a really difficult role to play. Mm. Um, so again, similarly to Rupert, I, uh, myself. Um, and Ellie met, and we, we we went through it, and obviously the character continued to evolve after Ellie decided she wanted to be involved. Um, but I think she she clocked onto what I was a I, I, Neil and I were trying to do, um, not only with her character, but with the way it it it, it very much had to dovetail with the uh, the Kane uh, character arc. Uh, what what Rupert was doing through the film, um, a tricky balance, but one that I think I mean I'm so lucky to 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 have two really experienced uh, actors in my what what is my first feature mm. um, to 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 navigate that really because it's it, it's a tough one um, it's a, it's a tough one to it's a tough sell I think uh, low budget sci fi mm. to actors because there's always the danger it can look hokey or look a bit daft I suppose if 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 it's not done right and you know as actors that they're, they're completely exposed um and if they don't trust the if you know if they don't trust the filmmaker to 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 give them that um the the confidence to to um to do justice to the thing that they've committed to then that can be a pretty 
pretty soul destroying place to be. Um, to be. Is that is that is that where you'd say there's? I mean, obviously, great value in being able to meet up and start the relationship between the director and the and the actor long yeah, before, long mean, before you walk on set. Absolutely, I I always like to do rehearsals um, in everything I've ever done. Mm. I've 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 done a, as extensive a, a rehearsal process as as the budget's been able to stretch to. Now, unfortunately, you know, being realistic about it, you, you're not going to get to do that in lo, in low budget filmmaking um, in the UK. I'm realistic about that. So what we what we did was just to keep talking about it, you know, on the phone by email. We met up. I think we met up uh, a couple of times um, to go through everything. Th- th- so the rehearsal process wasn't a traditional rehearsal, you know, room setup where you you know you can try things and you can go through things. It was more of a read through. Okay. Um, and you know, and then we'd go away. We'd think about it. The questions would come in. We'd tackle the questions so that when we got on set, which we knew was going to be very tight in terms of time, that we were we we were going to get a couple of goals and we we, we were going to get it right. <laughs> so it was more it was more it was more a back and forwards. Uh, it was more of a discussion process, I suppose, rather mm. than a rehearsal process. Um, I, I I knew Rupert anyway. Um, I, I got to know Ellie really well, and 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 luckily, you know, we all got on. I mean, mm. the, the, you know, with as I, I suppose that's a blessing in itself. Um, so <coughs> to have people who commit to the the process and commit to it being um, a bit, you know, everyone got their hands dirty on this. You know that that that's the way it works. If if you're gonna get it over the line. Uh, and 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 they were game, you know, and I I couldn't be more thankful to them for their sort of commitment and support um, right the way through, um, and and you know it it does come across on screen. What, what the finished film very much is what Neil and I set out to do on the page, you know, and I always say if it's not on the page, it's not there. Of course, yeah. And and it was on the page, so you know. It, the actors, the, the quality of the actors that we had, could only improve it. Um, and I suppose I could have only messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> they do, they do say the phrase, isn't it? Yeah. You can make, but, you can make a, you can only make a, you can make make a good film out of a good script, and but you can't make a good film out of a bad script. But you can make a bad film out of a good script. Yeah. And <coughs> I don't, I don't me, think sir. I have. I, I, I think I've done a good job. Um, but I was able to do a good job because of everybody around me. You know, we were very, not, not just with the cast, but with the crew as well. You know, we, we, we were very lucky, but we were very careful to pick people who were very talented in their fields, but also committed to it, you know, mm. really committed to it and, and, and put hours in way above and beyond what was what was expected and what they were getting paid for. And again, you know, that's the nature of it. We all know that. But, it's all very well talking a good game at the outset, but we, you know, people came through for us at at, at every point, point. Um, and 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 that comes from the the top, you know, that comes from from Rupert and Ellie. You know, mm. they put themselves on the line, they put their <coughs> reputations on the line for the sake of a of of a of a script that they liked, you know, and and, and characters that they connected to, and I think that comes across because. 
you, if if you don't connect to these characters who are unusual as characters, I would say yeah, yeah, yeah. that then, then then the film the film doesn't work. But you know you do, and so it does. Now that was that was like you say at the outset. That was two years ago when I first spoke to you when you came on set, and in February two thousand sixteen, you had your world premiere at Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival. And you're now on the brink of your European premiere at uh, East End Film Festival, 1st of July, at the Genesis Cinema in, in Mile End, East London, which is yeah. very exciting times. But for, for the, what, what I think would be interesting for the audiences is then, I mean, just, just, just one final recap is, what, how long was the shoot itself back two years ago? Yeah, God, I mean... Was it, was it 20 it, days? It seems... I, it seems like <coughs> yesterday, Stuart, that you were uh, that, that we were sitting in a in an empty swimming pool. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In it was like the British Empire, wasn't it? It was uh, it was an abandoned leisure centre, and and I can't believe it's that long ago. So we shot over we shot over twelve days. We built we built the spaceship in a in in a leisure centre, and then we we did a couple of days on location in Barking. Yeah. Um, Bark and Film Office were really, were really great. Uh, they, you know, they were very accommodating to us. Um, you know, so again, you know, that, 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 that smoothed the way. Um, we, after that, we, we went, we, because of, again, because of the nature of it, in a film like this, you would normally run visual effects and, your sound mix probably and and your 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 picture edit alongside one another so you you yeah. know because these things are all tied in you know they have to exist symbiotically for them to for, for the audience to buy them but we didn't have that luxury as ever because we we, we weren't able you know we weren't able to go back and change things and to have three departments running at the same time <laughs> we had to picture block you know which we did by Christmas, uh, 2015, maybe just after Christmas, actually. Um, then we went into VFX, and of course, we couldn't start the sound uh, design until the VFX were done, because you have to, well, one needs to come before the other, and it's it's the chicken or the egg, really. Yeah. Um, in order for the sound to be designed, and, and then that the mix to follow on, we needed to have what these visual effects that on on the spaceship were going to look like in order to know what they were going to sound like. So we we went into a really extensive uh, visual effects design process, which took a long time. It was done jointly by uh, two visual effects artists, uh, Justin Fleming in Manchester and Colin Smith in London. Okay. Um, so we were again. Oh, I, I was, I, I was back and forward a fair bit. Uh, as I say, our production office in, is in Liverpool, so um, the producers in Liverpool were able to get across when they needed to uh, to assist Justin. But they they worked very independently, really. And 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 once my ideas were put to them, they went away and and, and designed. Designed and, and and built these effects within the the, the picture locked uh, film, and you know we we did hone them a, a, a little bit. There was a, more than we ever imagined. I'd never done a film involving visual effects on this scale, uh, so it was a it was a massive 
eye-opener to me. Um, we, we didn't use that much green screen. A lot of it was, you know, um, just done on, 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 on board the spaceship. So we were, we had to integrate the, the, the visual effects into the space that the characters inhabited, you know, uh, actual tables and chairs and walls and, and that presented its own problems. I mean, the technical side of it, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, my background is, is as a screenwriter. So right. my, my strengths are always to do with, um, the more story side of things, you know, the character yeah. side of things, uh, working with actors. And, and I, I tend to trust the technical people to do what I want them to do. So in that sense, I, I was, I, you know, I, I, I can't get into even. <laughs> but what, what oversight did you have on it? I mean, in terms of, it doesn't, I don't necessarily need to know about the ones and zeros, but what was your direct involvement with, with the special effects system once they started working on it? And, and how much was it they went away for a, a short while and came back with something and went, does that look right? Is that kind of how it went? Yeah, basically. I mean, okay. the, if I were to do something on that, uh, on, on that scale again, hmm. I would have, I, I think a lot more, planning needs to go into how the camera moves and how that's going to affect, you know, what's difficult for a visual effects artist to achieve, what's quite relatively easy. A lot of these things are counterintuitive. Um, but, you know, we, you always have to fight that battle, I suppose, after the fact, um, if you don't have the money to do it at the time or, or the time to do it at the time. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which we didn't. So, um yeah, they would they would present me a list of options, and you know how you know we, you know for example we can do this, but it's going to take this long, or we can do this, and it's only going to take a day, and then <laughs> and, and then I'd have to. I mean, it's endless <coughs> um for a film of this scale, mm. um, and you know a big like a big a big influence, two big influences for me on this film. Really, oh. I would say. The um, the Soderbergh Solaris and the and uh, Dark Star. I mean, okay. you couldn't get the, the two more um, different uh, sci-fi films in terms of budget, but the, the spirit of them, I think, is 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 in the, the same ballpark. Now, it, we were definitely t- more towards the scale of Dark Star in terms of budget. I was going to say, I mean, for those listening, Dark Star, obviously, that, that's. That's Carpenter's first film, isn't it, John Carpenter's? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I, I love that film, and I, and I admire the spirit in which it was made because it's similar to, to how we approached it. I think he was going to make his thesis film uh, at USC, where I think he went to USC. Yeah? Well, I, I went to USC anyway, and, and I think he, 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 he thought, well, I'm raising all this money to do a 20-minute film. Why don't I just do a feature film? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm, I'm very much with him in spirit on that. So you know. By the way, just add there. My fun fact is that that's the first of a VHS I rented. Is it? Yeah, in nineteen eighty one, eighty two, or something. That's very cool, Stuart. (laughs) That's a very very cool first. I wasn't being. I wasn't trying to be very hipster. I mean, I've watched. (laughs) I've watched other VHSs at people's houses, but in terms of my first trip to a video shop. That's brilliant. Well done. The the, uh, the seduction of the sleeve. Obviously, at that young age. It was very hard for me to really comprehend the nuance of what makes Dark Star fascinating. Yeah, it, it, it's a funny one. I mean, you, you do very much have to buy into it mm. to to, to um, 
for its production value deficiencies to just wash over you. And I, I did, I've got to say, I, you know, I, I completely bought into it. Um, but going back to relating that to our one, you know, yeah. I, I, I was, I, I'd, I'd made peace very early on at the compromises, which would have to be made in order to achieve, in order to make a finished film. Mm. So, you know, so often when, when Justin or, or Colin came to me with, you know, options, it, it, it would be, okay, well, let's go with the, the easier, cheaper option. But what about if we did this? What about if we, you know, maybe didn't, didn't add this layer of, of, of three dimensionality to it, but we, you know, we moved it to this part of the frame. Would that make it any easier? You know, we're getting into technicalities there, but it was, it, again, that dialogue had to be, had to be back and forward in order to, to, to quickly, turn around what, what we were doing you know we had two men on 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 a job which which in in ordinary circumstances would have a team of people from from a visual effects house how, how, i mean because obviously colin's based in london isn't he yeah and if he's well, who's the other guy again sorry uh justin justin fleming so justin fleming you said based in manchester yeah how did those two operate this because obviously that's a lot of that's a lot of gigabytes flying up and down the pipes isn't it well we what we did we we split the shots uh, in, into manageable. Um, we split them in half. Okay. Kind of. So, so what? So different rooms would be allocated to different uh, artists. So mm. you know, everything in the in the cockpit, for example, that would go to, let's say, Justin, for mm. you know, off the top of my head. So he would. Do, so they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't necessarily be working on the same shots hmm. so there was a there was a commonality of um in in the design of everything um every de every design choice would come back to me i would make that choice and then they'd go back and and, and animate it within the frame so um so there was consistency to to the way the, the ship looked and behaved at all points I mean, in terms of in terms of what you've you've been able to learn yourself from this process, as what what elements of it do you feel sort of enhanced what you achieved? You know, in terms of, I guess at some point you might have been thinking, okay, I understand I got to compromise and stuff, and and but actually, where did you feel that you you kind of got the the kind of creative victories where the what your what your budget constrained you to and what you achieved made you um, made you really pleased with the finished thing? Yeah, when we set out to design. The, the spaceship, we, mm. we were conscious that we didn't want to have a shiny Star Trek, uh, you know, all white or, or, you know, glass and, 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 and chrome surfaces. We, we, we didn't want to do that because we knew that we probably couldn't compete at that level. So we, we rethought it and, and we felt it was quite apt to, to, to almost paint the, the, the ship as a, a, a quite a brutalist, blank canvas on which then we would paint our our visual effects elements okay so john revel designed uh, uh, the the spaceship in a brilliant in a brilliant almost tessellation um that ha has a, a rabbit warren kind of feel like a tardis kind of feel you never quite know how big this spaceship is so it's it's at, it's at times cold and barren and big and lonely and at times very claustrophobic um i must admit that was one of the that's one of the most pleasing things watching it having having walked on that spaceship set 
is that you do not feel the scale of the set. You feel you feel like you're watching this spaceship. And yeah. When it has to feel like, like you say, claustrophobic, it does. But equally, when you have to feel like it's in a very large machine, it yeah. equally plays that part. Yeah, it's it it, 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 it it's a. It, it's a brilliant design, actually, um, mm. and and the design was the design was good, and and the design informed the, what the visual effects were going to do. Right. Um, the the two things had to work, you know, in in, in order for us to buy the that 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 it was that it was a spaceship. That it's not just you know it's not a theatre piece. It's not a constructed set, mm. and the visual effects. Together with the sound design, really brought that to life. I think because the film, the 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 ship has to feel almost like a a, bre- a, a, a semi biological thing anyway, because the characters, the way the characters work, the way they're all tuned into one another, they almost have to be tuned into the ship. I should actually it's remiss of me actually. It might be worth at this point just um, just giving people a brief synopsis of what native is. I'm forgetting, obviously we did it once before, but for the purposes of this podcast, I suppose it's worth repeating. Do you want to just say what, what the basic gist is of, of, of native? Yeah. So the story revolves around two scientists, Kane and Eva, who come from a strange, uh, unusual society, um, where everybody is linked telepathically, um, the strongest links are between twins, so they are sent on this intergalactic mission to seek out a transmission, uh, a musical transmission that, that, that they receive on their home planet. Um, their twins, because of their telepathic uh, abilities, are able to guide them from mission control, um, so they're constantly in touch with their hive society. Mm. Um and then, and then things start to go awry when those connections begin to fail. I won't say any more than that. Um, there's a trailer out there, and people can watch the trailer if they want. Mm. Um, no, that's, that's per- that perfectly set it up. Um, um, I think it's it, and it's and I think for people for people who 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 get to see the film, they'll they'll see the layers that that exposes and the kind of metaphor you you play off on what what it is to be human and things like that. Absolutely, I mean, I mean, yeah. It, it's it's a for, through Kane's character, it's it's kind of a descent into what it is to be an individual, and mm. I, and and I say descent, I use that as a pejorative, and only because it's considered that way by the society that he's been brought up in, um, and it, yeah, it, it it's an examination of of what it is, and I talked to Rupert about this a lot when we were talking about the character, what it is to hear music for the first time, what it is to hear. Something that inspires you for the first time. How you know those feelings of like you know I've, that the, the first time that you ever you know have a, <laughs> a pint of beer. You know it, it's those feelings of confusion and 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 uncertainty and the 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 desire to to go further down that path and 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 that curiosity and 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 where that can go where it can be damaging or where it can be rewarding and how as humans we're sort of designed to to do things which um might harm us but which ultimately confirm um the you know the what it is to be alive you know how how do we even know we're alive if if 
if we don't put ourselves in jeopardy um, for the sake of, of art or creativity or enjoyment, love. Uh, well, no, these are these are they, these are all the um, what do you call it the um, Maslow's hierarchy of need, isn't it? We 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 get to enjoy the self actualization bits because for you and I, food, health, and security are pretty much standard ways of our life. We're lucky, yeah. And so the next step is have a drink, listen yeah. to a record, watch yeah. a film. You know, these things aren't important to live, but in the end, they do become important to live because we as humans. However you want to describe it, have a soul, have a heart, or whatever it is. And that's how we kind of either express ourselves or feel better within that isn't something yeah. anyone can see. Yeah, you, this, this conditioned uh, need to constantly <coughs> feel and, 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 be, and, and be stimulated in, in, in some way and how you get used to, to things and, and, and how you then need more. I think they're interesting questions, and, 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 and that's definitely where the film came from and it's about loneliness as well you know it's two people traveling in the in, you know in into the depth of space mm. with with only each other really um there's 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 you know there's the intimation of of a support network somewhere mm. but 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 when that starts to be stripped away you know what you do when when you are when there there is no one you know and, and 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 you have to start not only looking at who's around you, but looking inside to, to see you know how how, how you're going to cope. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Can I ask you what what do you think? I mean, you mentioned Dark Star as being an influence, but I mean, obviously. Duncan Jones famously did Moon yes. as, a, as a as a as a um, using sci-fi to be a, a, a debut feature, and you know films like Silent Running are very iconic. Yeah, not being big budget, but for being sort of important. What do you think it is about sci-fi? But because we're talking about human things, but you're you're saying let's take it to outer space, invent invent a, a, a race of people that are, that look like us but act differently because of the way that they're they're culturally programmed. And, yeah. then ex- and then expose them to what we are. What do you, what is you, what is you think it is that, that sci-fi allows that kind of... I think it allows you to create your own rules. It, mm. it allows you to create a set of circumstances that once you put it in that sci-fi realm, an audience will just go with. I, I think the, the, the sci-fi f- fan base mm. is a very accepting one, I think. And... I think if you don't try and if you if you don't if you treat them with respect uh, in terms of the audience intelligence, I think they'll go with you a long way. Um, and and I think when you know when you try and do these things, I I saw X uh, a, a play um, the other week, uh, which which did a similar kind of thing about a a, a base on Pluto. Mm. In the far future, right. um, long after Earth has, has ceased to become a viable place to live, yeah. and you know it's not about a space mission to Pluto. That's not what it's about. I won't. <laughs> it is about because you know you need to see the play, and, yeah. and I won't spoil it. But you know, putting a set of characters in a place like that, setting the rules up, allows you then, in a more interesting way, begin to talk about things like 
loneliness or individuality or creativity, all these things which, which interest us as writers, we're able to do in a much more interesting, visually uh, arresting way. Um, and, and, and then you were able to elicit that thrill of being in the cinema in an unusual environment whilst simultaneously talking about the things you want to talk about. You know, we're not in a in a council flat in Bootle. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, totally, totally. And I think the, the, the thing is, and, and without wanting to give too much away about, about the film for people that won't have seen it yet, is that the way I've been describing it to people is, is describing it as a, as a cerebral sci-fi movie. Because, you know, in, in much the same, I don't know if you ever saw the film Coherence from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I really like Coherence, yeah. You know, I, I, that's the same way I described that. It's this idea that, because there's, 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 there is a kind of sci-fi thing which is about laser guns and spaceships and all that kind of stuff and, you know, the Star Trek world and the Star Wars world. Yeah, which I'm, but which I'm, I'm, I'm not against, but it's, yeah. but, it, but, but I'm just to differentiate it from that kind of, that, that, that also to show that sci-fi stretches a hell of a chasm because obviously coherence takes place at a dinner party in the hills of LA. So it's not the obvious setting for a sci-fi movie, but, yeah. it, but, it, but it becomes one. Yeah. It, it, I, I think you've, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, sci-fi can be can be whatever you want it to be, really. Yeah. You you all all you're doing is is you you you're using reality in the world that we live in, but you're changing an element. Mm. And and as, as long as the rules apply and 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 the, there's you stay consistent with whatever element that you're changing, um, then I think again it just it's it it sets up a more interesting way to tell very real stories. In, in a bended reality, like a, I, I read, you know, the Sebastian Lem, who, who the um, the Polish writer who was who who wrote actually so the the Solaris novel. Okay. A lot of this stuff's really interesting. It's it, it a lot of it's um, it, so like Borges. Um, it, a lot of it's mes- uh, metaphysics wrapped up in mathematics, and a lot of it is quite hard to get into I mean, it's not you know it's not airport novel stuff um, and they are quite short stories but out of them come a lot of ideas I mean there's a book called um, there's a Heinlein uh, science fiction novel which which talks about the twin paradox which is where I started to get the idea for native okay. um, and and I just find that that kind of literature and that kind of cinema gets you thinking because you know as as long as you accept the fact that it's you know it's it's a it's it, it's a created reality it, it's not you know it's not meant to be you know it's not it's not science it's 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 um because if, if 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 the film was scientific then it'd be a documentary <laughs> but then you see the thing is we we, we easily we easily accept things like the supernatural when we're giving it in a horror film, which is just to get, it's a very similar thing, isn't it? You're just creating rules that as yep. long as the rules are consistent, I will get scared of what's going to happen in that horror film. Yeah. Yes. And I don't, I, I, I don't mind, I, I, I don't mind people being really, really close to the, to, to the scientific source, like in, Interstellar was with Kip Thorne's involvement and all that. I think that's fine. And, and as long as it's consistent and as long as the, consistency stays consistent 
and the scientific inconsistencies remain inconsistent in the right way. I don't mind that at all, you know, and, and I think that's why, again, it, it, it's a very fluid, uh, quite elastic um, genre to work in, and that's why I, I'm, I'm attracted to it, uh, because it can be, you know, you, 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 can, you can have sci-fi horror, like Alien, you can have sci-fi thriller, you can have sci-fi drama, which I suppose is what we're trying to do, or you know, something like The Man Who Fell to Earth, which I think is a, a masterpiece. You know, you, you can apply, you can say a lot of things are fall into the science fiction um, genre, hmm. I suppose, but you, there's a lot of freedom within that. Um, that's why I'm attracted to it. Uh, I, think, I, th I think it's... I, th I think we might, you know... I don't... You know, I'm... I'm I very much lean towards that sort of film because that's the, the type of film that I'm a fan of. Yeah. But that's not to say, I'll, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go on and just do science fiction for, for, for the rest of my life because, you know, f far from it. The next film I, I want to do is a, is, a, is a drama about Jehovah's Witnesses, but that's a conversation for another day. It is indeed. But, but then, <laughs> but then that, that, makes it sound, that, that makes you sound like you're, you're – going back to what you're saying about coming from a screenwriting point of view – your your first attraction is the story, isn't it? And I think it's it's safe to say that that your story here was becomes about loneliness and what it means to be human. And if you can find that in a, in a sci fi environment, then you know that's off to you. And I think you know, having watched the film, I feel I feel like you've done it. And it, in in a way, it really <clears throat> it and certainly when it gets into into kind of the Act Three area, it really ratchets up to a point where you're. You know, you're having to sort of watch this and, and, and think about what's going on and, and where you've just been because it isn't obvious what happens at all. I won't, I won't give any more away than that. I think that's, yeah. I think that's abstract enough without without telling, giving people things away. But yeah, yeah. I, and I think that's and, and just from my personal experience, obviously having having seen 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 you on set shooting it, it is it is it is an amazing journey that that, that goes from that shoot to that post production process to what becomes the finished film. Well, that's, I mean, that's really kind of you to say, and, I, and, I, and I'm glad that it's been received uh, the way it has, and, and people have, have got what we were trying to do. It was really interesting to watch it in Boston, yeah. sat sat in the cinema. It was a full, uh, it's a full house in, in the Somerville Theatre in, in, in Boston. Yeah, and yeah. the first time I'd really watched it on a big screen with an audience, um, and it's, it, it, it makes so much more sense on a big screen in in, in a dark theatre than it than, than it did on any of the monitors that that we watched it on and yeah. and it was really interesting to see where people did did go with it more than I maybe thought they would in places and then other places where where they where, where you know they did have to catch up to it. It moves along. It you know it it's eighty six minutes, which is I, I think the perfect length for a film. I think films are too long these days, so I was really glad to get it in under 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, but again, that, that, that cinematic experience, I think we've achieved that, and, and I'm really pleased about that. And, and just before we finish talking about post-production, I, I will just say as well, cool. the sound designer, uh, Kimberly Patrick, has done an absolutely fantastic job. You know, sound design is crucial to sci-fi. We all know that. I think... In fact, I think the sound design Oscar was invented for Ben Burt after Star Wars. I may be wrong on that, but... Um, we'll, buy it for, we'll buy it for a dollar on this show for this, <laughs> for this, for this one occasion. 
I, I always knew how cool <coughs> it was going to be, and um, Kim is an absolute superstar. She works at Skywalker um, on the ranch in California, and we started USC in the same class together. And I, you know, you, you knew from then she was she she was she has a, a musical background, so she always wanted to. Everyone who goes to USC, I think most people they all want to be the you know Steven Spielberg before they've even started. Right. But Kim was very. Uh, adamant from day one, she wanted to do sound. She and and that was what everything was geared towards. And I mean, she just the work the work that she did with her team in Skywalker and at USC uh, was just incredible, really. And and that again, where where Rupert and Ellie had to had to work together and 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 dovetail to make the 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 the, the characters make sense, Kim. Worked with uh, Paul uh, from Baltic Fleet, who did the soundtrack, mm. and the way that their work complements each other's is just an absolute dream to me because it's such a major part of of um, not just sci-fi films, but, but but films in general. I think sound is 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 too often overlooked as uh, in in you know in in the way that films are put together and. Um, well, the thing is, again, it's a cliche to say it, but, you know, we can watch a bad image, but we can't watch a good image with bad sound. No, I know. Good, good sound will get a bad image a long way. And exactly. That's not, that's not a reflection on your film. Just a general, a general thing about, about when we, what, the way we receive information. Sound will help us through so well, much more. Absolutely, because, you know, you can look at that spaceship um, and think, yeah, you know, it's it's quite barren and but then you hear it in the cinema and and you you hear the ship you hear mm. it breathe almost it you you it completely completely convinced that so where do those ideas come from is that you saying i want it to sound like this or is that the sound design saying to you here's here's the rumbling of um of it going through space i, I don't know how does that because you don't obviously write that on the script on the page do you um, maybe not on the script, but that those ideas start to start to take shape when when you you're going through the build process, with the, even the design process of the ship. Okay. So if it looks like this, it needs to sound like this. Got you. It, those two things have to work uh, together um, because if it's incongruous. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't sell. You know, it's got to. It, it's got to all be coming from the same place. You know, you've got to. You've got to believe that something that looks like that sounds like this. So what? What was? What was your kind of note then to convey to them what they needed to design, and how did you? How did you communicate it? <laughs> it's a constant discussion. I mean, okay. it's, it, it's it's a lot of Skype calls because obviously they're in Northern California, yeah. uh, and then. We 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 actually finished off. We 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 were even we were, you know they would do an extra foley and, and 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 little design bits and pieces even when we were mixing. Um, we 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 mixed in in LA um, towards the end of last year, and you know that Kim came down from from Skywalker, and and we did you know we 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 did our last bits and pieces with with. Uh, with some rock who who mixed it, mm. and you know that we we were just it was constant conversations. To be honest, they're that good that my 
will sometimes woolly descriptions. <laughs> it, it would they would come back with exactly what I wanted, and if they didn't, then I'd, I'd, I I sound is a really hard thing to try and describe. No, no, that's why I was asking the question. I wondered if how easy it is to communicate to someone. No, it's it, it, it's difficult, and you've just got to you've got to hope that that somebody can tune into your terminology enough to be able to make sense of it, particularly, you know, sci-fi sound as well, which, you you know, it doesn't exist. If it's, if it's a city scene and, you you know, you can go, well, I want a, a police siren or, a, you know, I, I want the sound of a, of a car crash. We all know what that sounds like, but when you're saying I want the sound of, an, of a nuclear-driven intergalactic spaceship you know, then it's kind of like, okay, well, how does that sound? What? Yeah, you can't go to Boosby and Hawks and go to their sound library, can you? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, but I think I, as difficult as that is, I also think it's a sound designer's dream because then they they get to let their imagination run wild, then and, and and then they can be creative with it. Mm. So it was really it was it was fun. You know, I I I love that part of it because. These people are, 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 are absolute they're, they're experts, and you know they're, they're genius at what they do. And because it is so abstract, the way they can process the information and what we want as as directors, and then come back to us with a range of options—not just one, you know, not just mm. scrabbling around for something that might do, but to go right there's there's five options. Which way do you want to push it? And often, you know, one of those five options would be would do the trick. Mm. Sometimes we'd combine two. Sometimes we'd select one and then try and do something a little bit different with it. I loved it. It was brilliant. You know, it it was it was endlessly fascinating to me, and not too dissimilar to to the to the VFX work, to be honest, because we did have that time to to let it filter through to, to you know to to properly process it and to to hone it and and. And, and make it work. So, th- um, those uh, those uh, lads and girls over over there were just were just phenomenal, really. And 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 then and then we mixed Paul's music in. Hmm. And so then, who, who did the music? What was the name? Baltic the- Fleet. Baltic okay. Fleet. Uh, 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 electronic uh, music. Um, Group, I suppose it's really it, it, it's uh, Paul Fleming. It, 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 he comes under the the Baltic Fleet mm. name. Um, he's had a couple of albums out. Right. Uh, he, he, he's he, again. He's just a genius. You know. He, he's he worked on a a short film that I made, and he did the score for that. And that process was was very rewarding. You know, he came back with you know pretty much exactly what I wanted, even after one conversation. Hmm. So I knew that it was going to be a fairly painless process working with him, and then we went to his, his studio and we, we 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 watched the film. We made slight changes, but he he just got it. Where when people get it, it makes your job so much easier, you know. I think it's an important thing to point out. Just thinking about the way you've talked is that because you immediately started by sort of saying, you know, you're not the technical guy, you're you're the director and you're the writer. But I think. It speaks volumes about the create the collaborative creative process of filmmaking that <clears throat> you to get a successful film are putting you know you started off sorry by saying you know that, that that Rupert and Ellie were putting trust in you to be in the film and then the step after that it's been shot is you putting your trust into the FS, FX guys 
yeah. the sound design and then the music to enhance the movie, you know, to, to finish the movie off, as it were. And it's interesting that while you've got a hand on it, your hand in it is, is, is gets less and less, doesn't it? You know, you're... Um, it's kind of... You, at, at this level, I've been really lucky uh, in that my production team have been really supportive and I, <coughs> I really have always had... I've never let creative control slip away mm. really it's it's always been my say and i've always led it along i'm really suspicious of the auteur idea yeah. that you know a film by because it's never truly a film by just one person it's not just my film it's it's loads of people's film this um yeah. and 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 i'm aware that there's a cult a a a, 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 a the cult of the director which dictates to us that we kind of have to acknowledge it and and and, and play along with it mm. um it's not something that i'm particularly keen on but there we go you know a film by daniel fitzsimmons i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> you know because what you're doing is 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 you're taking credit for other people's you know brilliant work but having said all that it does kind of come that they it does come from me i suppose um because you are you are a conductor of an orchestra still, aren't you? Yes. However, way you look at it, there's I mean, essentially, and 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 I don't mind, I I I I don't mind admitting that hmm. um, because it's been drummed into us from since day one at, at USC. You know, it's this whole thing is a collaboration. Yeah. You know, everything you get into is a collaboration because if it's not, it doesn't really work, or you might kill yourself. <laughs> you know, well, you you know because it's hard. It, it it it's hard enough when you've got the support and 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 the expertise of of hundreds of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If if you act if it if you actually did try and do everything by yourself, and and there are people who have done it, but you know, to varying degrees of success, I I just don't think there's any mileage in in trying to be too. I always say you you should be working with people who are better at. At what they do than you are at what you do, because if you do that, you're not going to go far wrong. And, and and so you your skill almost is is conducting that and getting people to buy into what you eventually want to want the work to look like. You know, at at the end when it's all you know the titles on and the credits at the end, and and if that's your job, your job is to get is is to earn that trust and create an environment that people can work in. That allows them to to flourish. I think that's that, that's our job ultimately. Oh, no, totally. Can I just t just take you back to your uh, your world premiere then in Boston? Did you do a Q and A when you were there? We did a short one, yeah, with 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 Garen Daly, who's who's the fest who's, who runs the festival. Um, what yeah, was what was the? Did, did you get any questions from the audience at all? Yes, a couple. Yeah. What 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 what, what was what were they what were they fascinated about? Just just because to give people a, a sense of like an audience's uh, yeah the movie. What, what questions did you get? Similar to, I mean, you know, people people are getting it. People mm. are understanding what we're trying to do. People are understanding the subtext behind um, behind the story in the film. Mm. To be honest, a lot of the questions were about what happens at the end and. I don't really want to go into that because no, no, no. You know, we want people to see the film and, and, and so let's remind people then. So it's it's the, the European premiere is 
is at the East End Film Festival, and it's 1st of July, and it's going to be at the Mile End Genesis. I'll put a link to the East End Film Festival website, yeah. and if you want to give me any other online information you want me to put in the show notes, I'll gladly take it. Of course, yeah, and and just to say as well, Stuart, um, at the at the screening, uh, there will be a Q and A afterwards with uh, with me and 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 hopefully Ellie and, and Rupert, uh, so people can ask whatever questions they want to ask there. And then and you know, there'll be there'll be a lot of the cast there milling about and stuff like that. So it should be. I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and and as well to 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 have the European premiere. Where the film was shot, where it was, you know, where mm. it was edited, it was all edited here in 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 London. Mm. Uh, to have the cast and the crew there, you know, in the East End, we shot it all in the East End. It's 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 very much a, it's very much an, an East End film, and 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 to have the premiere there, I think, is is really apt. So no, I know it's really exciting, really exciting times. It'll be really good. Nice one. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on the podcast to tell us about the the second half of the film's journey. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for having me, Stu. That's uh, it's been uh, it's been nice talking about it. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.